Hello, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm Brandon Wood. And I'm Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles. For all of us who are looking for faith beyond the confines and the fences of institutional religion. So thank you for joining us for episode 47. It is the 22nd episode of our second season. And our guest today is Wendy Hudson. Um, Joe, I'm telling you, man, this might be my most favorite episode we've done so far. I know we say that all the time, but <laughs> Wendy, uh, I mean, she's just on to something. I think she's... She's on to something that I yeah. think a lot of people who identify as spiritual exiles um, are kind of looking for well, in yeah. faith communities. That's so. exactly what I was going to say. For those of you, for those in our audience, like myself, who's deconstructing um, and maybe even came from um, evangelicalism or – and that could be any – I mean, not just evangelicalism, but um, Joe, you said something in this episode that what she's doing with her church plant might just be something for people – that are deconstructing or spiritual exiles would be a part of. And I was feeling it, but you put words to my feelings. And um, so if you're in the audience and, and that's you, this is going to be a hell of an episode for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so let's just get to it. Please give a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to Wendy Hudson. Within mutual aid, also, I think an important part of that aspect of it is that there is no hierarchy of um, skills or talents, um, and so it's a it's a flat uh, a flat you know viewpoint to where every skill, talent, experience, and person is equally valid. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today, Wendy Hudson. Um, Wendy and I kind of met virtually like a lot of people have in the last year. Um, we were both speakers at the UMC lead conference um, back in, was that January, I guess, but I keep wanting to say last <laughs> year, but it was earlier in 2021. Um, but uh, yeah. And we have since kind of gotten to know each other online and been in several um, little webinars and zoom calls, trying to brainstorm new ways of being the church in, in this wild um pandemic slash post-pandemic world uh, that we're living in. But Wendy, thank you so much for joining us here uh, for this episode of the Yay. podcast. Oh, I'm really excited to uh, be here. And I do have to say that, you know, in the COVID times, every month feels like a year. So <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I mean, like January, feel it does feel like a totally different decade, not just seven months ago. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, I'm really excited to have you. We've got a lot of interesting stuff to, to talk about here. Um, you, you've got a, a really kind of unique um, church faith community going on there in, uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, where you're located. And, uh, and we want to talk about this concept of mutual aid. I'll just put that out there as a teaser uh, and we'll nice get to teaser. that. But, um, just, if you would just, uh, introduce yourself to the folks, tell us who you are and, and what you're about in the world. Sure. Uh, well, my name is Wendy, like you said, my pronouns are she and her, and I'm the uh, planting pastor at Two Rivers Church. We are United Methodist Faith Community in Charleston, South Carolina, and we celebrated our third birthday in Yay. March. Um, <laughs> so we lived um, a full, you know, a full third, more than third of our third of our life um, in in the COVID reality. Yeah. So it's been an yeah. interesting time to uh, try and you know, form new community, expand community, oh, yeah, grow community um, during this last, last, last little bit. But uh, we have a really, a really wonderful, wonderful time. Um, our primary focus in our congregation is um, particularly the intersections of Jesus and, and justice. Um, we really yes. also have a focus on LGBTQ inclusion, uh, full inclusion, and anti-racism. So those are two of our kind of primary um, pillars that we use as a jumping off point um, for the work that we do in our community. Um, and it's been the most amazing and wonderful and best fun of my life. That's great. This has got to be wild to, to try to plant a brand new community in the midst of this reality, you know, cause so, so if you started basically a year or so pre COVID, right. We did. Um, yeah. But that, but that first year for any faith community is really a lot of kind of just feeling out, you know, what your identity is and trying to get things off the ground. And 
So that's yeah. that's really um, really interesting. So I, I I was reading on your website, and I've heard you talk about this before, but just um, for our listeners, um, Two Rivers Church has kind of an interesting like origin story that um, that I'd love uh, for for our audience to hear about. Yeah. Um, so we are are what's called in the church planting world a parachute drop, which means they send a pastor um, to a community and say all right, have a good time, make a church, <laughs> um, which is actually really, you know, I always say it's a terrible way to plant a church. Don't do it. I mean, it happened to yeah. work for us, <laughs> but um, uh, so I was asked to go out to this particular geographic area um, and my family and I and I had two friends who came along. Um, and so it was they're kind of like the three, our three families. And so I spent, I'd been in the city of Charleston already in the Charleston region for six years. And so I, this was a new re, new area about eight miles away. And so I spent the first, you know, three months just meeting with everybody I knew in Charleston who did not go to church and then asked nice. them like, who should I meet with next? And so over the first two years, I did 450 coffee lunches and dinners. No way. That's um, awesome. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I also that. had to take up running. <laughs> to offset all the coffees, <laughs> lunches, and dinners um, that, that I was doing. But uh, so we gathered together, you know, not, not intentionally, but it ended up being about 12 folks, uh, most of whom had, uh, I said, only, only three of those families were going or individuals were attending any kind of worshiping community and the rest weren't. Um, and so we started by asking three questions. The first question was, uh, if you attended a church, what kind of church would you want to go to? And then we asked, what kind of church does Charleston need and not have? And then we said, mm. where are the intersections between those two? Mm. Um, and so we knew right away that we wanted to be a specifically Jesus-centered congregation, um, that there were several inclusive congregations in Charleston at the time, um, but there were not very many that were uh, skewed younger and that were very specifically Jesus centered. And we knew that we really wanted that to be the heart um, of who we were. And we wanted the communion table to be our primary worship experience um, every time. And then we also knew that we wanted to be um, LGBTQ inclusive. That was, you know, our, one of our main values from the beginning. And then we also uh, were told that we needed to be multi-ethnic and multiracial, um, but the area in which we were sent to was like 85% white. Hmm. Um, and so we said, okay, well, we wanna have this value of being multi-ethnic. And we looked around at the group of 12, we had 11 white people and one black person. And so we said, well, obviously we cannot say that we are multiracial because that's not true. <laughs> um, so we asked, uh, we said, okay, well maybe we can make that an aspirational value. We can aspire mm, yeah. to be multi-ethnic. And then we're like, but aspirational values aren't really a thing. You either have a value or you don't have a value. Something that you are living or you're not living. Because um, we always wanted our values to be actionable nice. and lived and people could see them. Uh, so then we said, well, while we are yearning to become and you know, desiring to become multi-ethnic, we can definitely be anti-racist. Mm. And so we really set that um, as one of those intersectional guiding values. Um, and as we all know, once we start opening up the door, uh, you know, we open the door to LGBTQ inclusion, then we open up the door to anti-racism. And then we all of a sudden had all of these children who started coming and we're like, wait, what do we do with all these children? And so then we had to like open up a space for them. And then, uh, you know, we had folks with lots of different um, abilities and disabilities. And we're like, okay, how can we be fully accessible um, to folks? And that opened up another door. And so it's just been really wonderful just to keep opening up the doors um, and letting more and more and more people in. That's great. Oh, I love that imagery of, of constantly opening the doors. Yeah. That's, That's great. Yeah. I love that, that you did it in relationship. You know, I, I've, I, my wife and I did a church plant in a different denomination and some of the tactics I was always like, it just didn't make sense to me. I didn't like them. But like, I know there's a, a few in our area, you know, you get the flyers, no relationship. You just get a flyer and put in your door or sent to you. It's a questionnaire, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> like, why? Like, you know, I'm, you know, you're just, I don't know. So I love that you purposely, I mean, I personally think uh, a conversation over coffee or beer is the best time of spiritual talk. 
And so I love that you did that. You got to know people and ask them questions and, and then say, Hey, who do I go to next? <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. Right. I love that. And, you know, and the one benefit, you know, I, I had already been in the region, you know, for six years. So I already had, you know, a, a you know, a, a pretty broad network and I, and I knew people, so I wasn't totally brand new, but especially around the work, well, around the work of LGBTQ inclusion and anti-racism. Um, you know, I am a straight white mm, female yeah. identified person. Um, and, you know, to be the leader of a community that says we have LGBTQ inclusion, anti-racism at, you know, at the core, um, you know, why would queer people and why would black people ever try, you know, have zero reason to trust me as a straight white woman? Um, and so, a lot of a lot of the work that we have done has been relationship building and it's been relationship building that I've now been in Charleston for 10 years and these are relationships that I started 10 years wow. ago you know and folks have folks have had to have had to watch me for 10 years yeah to so that I can be seen as trustworthy and and I don't take that trust lightly at all it's hard earned um and I yeah. recognize that it can be lost very quickly um but yeah, it is, it is about relationship. And it also means that we're not gonna have a 3000 member church, yeah. you know, in year three, when we're moving at the speed of trust. That's Ooh, a phrase that, um, love that. one oh. of our friends, um, one of our important community partners, uh, Kanae Miller, who is the owner of Transformation Yoga, the only black owned yoga studio in Charleston, she teaches an in agreement workshop. And um, that is a phrase that we um, have learned from her that we move at the speed of Man, trust. Man, I love that. Pod, yeah, podcast so, over. I wrote it down, wrote it down too. Podcast <laughs> over. We don't need to hear anything else. <laughs> I mean that. Yes, yeah, so I need to be. I need to be very clear that yeah. you know we, um, you know that we we credit Kanae, Kanae. Um, with that phrase and and seeing. Man, that I works. love that because immediately when you said movement the speed of my brain went a million other places and you said trust and I'm like, oh, gosh, especially with church, yeah. church and trust and are whoa. yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean that's yeah. a loaded thing and. Wow, that, I love that. And it's it's so it's so counterintuitive in church world and especially in church planting world, right? Because you know, those of us that kind of work in that space, you know, we're we're always, you know, we've got these metrics yeah. and measurables and all of this stuff that even though you can kind of look and say like realistically this doesn't happen quickly. Like I think intellectually we know that, but we're so conditioned toward I guess productivity. Mm -hmm. Um, that even when we know something is going to take some time, we tend to try to speed it up and, and try to rationalize to whatever, you know, authorities that we have to answer to, like why it's taking so long. And I think that phrase, the speed of trust, really, really, I've got a, uh, I've got a congregational vitality retreat this coming weekend and I'm going to drop that on them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, um, the best piece of advice I got when I started off, I called um, Sarah Ewing Merrill, who is in our United Methodist church planting world, uh, kind of one of one of the at the forefront of this kind of new this generation. Um, she and her spouse planted Hope Gateway in Maine um, several years ago, about a decade ago. And I we went to seminary together. So I called her before I, when I got the appointment before I started and said, you know, what do I need to know? And she said, um, make relationships with people for the sake of relationships. Oh, yep. Yeah. Don't engage with no people agenda. so they can come to your yes. church. Um, and she, and she, I mean, she's, she's shared, you know, an experience that, that she had had where that line got muddied and that it ended up being a painful yeah. outcome um, of that relationship. And that, I, I mean, I credit her for, for that, very important piece of advice um, that really became foundational to my to my own like so relationships is like just you know just seeing people for the purpose of developing relationship with them not with any expected or intended outcome yeah, yeah. not yeah. a transactional yeah. I don't want any of my relationships or encounters with people to ever be viewed as transactional yeah 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 We're, if people sense for even yeah. a second that you're trying to recruit them oh yeah you're, you're done. You're well, just, and the, you're and then you, no, nobody wants a relationship based yeah, on Yeah. And then you have <laughs> you the know? awkwardness when they that, see you in public, they run the other way because they know you have an agenda out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's interesting. Um, 
so in, especially in like mom culture, like white mom culture, um, social media mom culture, there's a lot of like, um, is it multi-layer MLMs? Is that oh, multi-layer yeah. marketing? Oh yeah, yeah. MLM, yeah. There's a lot of those. Um, and there was a season right when I was starting that the multi-layer marketing MLMs were really kind of hitting an upswing. Um, and I found that happened to me several times. Like these folks would reach out to me um, from like high school yep. or people that I had just met. And they would, you know, they'd like hit me up in my DMs and it would be like, oh, hey, it's so good to see you. And they, you know, and it would be, you know, a few minutes of, yep. you know, a few of like what I thought were like intentional get to know you. And they then they would be like, well, are you looking um, to get fit? Or, you know, I see you've been running do you are you looking for some new clothes or are you i have these really great like wraps that can make you skinnier i mean yeah. <laughs> like all of a sudden and it felt i was like wait a second i thought you were like catching up with me to catch up with me yeah. what do you mean you want to sell me x y and z uh, and i realized very quickly that um church planting and church like trying to make relationships for church could have the exact same effect oh, like wow, i yeah. did not want people <laughs> to have that same like if i showed up in their dms yeah. that all of a sudden they were like well what does she want now um but that really really had to go back to um to being you know it really goes to looking at you know to use church terms, um, which I don't do a whole lot of, but the Imago Day, but really seeing yeah. the holy in every single person yeah. and being able to encounter them just to encounter someone made in the image of God. That's and like, awesome. and, 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 and that is the purpose, not anything else. Love it. Yeah. Let me, let me ask, and this might derail the convo, but I, I I'm just curious um, because I had a, a dip my toes a little bit in the UMC world and was in the candidacy process. Um, and then I, I, I stopped that. But how does that work with church planning as far as you're talking about building relationships in a 10-year window, though you haven't been in the appointment for 10 years? Um, I know the goal would be obviously to build a team around you, but um, do, do they give you longer than a normal pastor to stay at a church plant before they look at even moving you? Or, you know, how does that work? You know, and I think that varies, of course, from bishop to bishop and annual conference to annual conference. So I say that with that caveat, um, you know, best practices around church planting, say eight to 10 years yeah. for the founding planter um, to stay. And, and I can, I can see, I can definitely see the wisdom um, in that. It's interesting at my, I, I've served three appointments before this one. So I've, I've been in this, I've been doing this pastoring thing for a long time. Um, and in my last appointment i was there six years and i had i did five years before that um and i remember going to my district superintendent because when i was entering going from year four to year five all of a sudden relationships that i had started building in year one started to bear fruit yeah in years in, in year really in year five and i remember telling my district superintendent we have missed the boat yes when we in United Methodism world, we tend to, you know, rotate pastors. When you rotate them on year four and year five, um, I was like, that that's right where you're really gaining community trust. And, and you know, and my, you know, when I look at the purpose of a faith community, a church, a congregation, my role in that as a pastor, um, it is not to the people within a building to which I'm assigned, but is always community, yes. always community. Mm. Um, and especially, you know, it, it takes that long, but then you build, you know, you build that reputation. Um, and, and so your ministry and your congregation's reach expands, but it really, it, it was years, it was years five and six that I was like, this mm -hmm. is the sweet spot. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I want to um, I want to kind of turn us um, towards the what I think is probably going to be the meat of our conversation here, though. And, and this, I made a note when when you were doing your talk at Lead um, back in January about this idea of mutual aid. Yeah. Um, and I, I took notes on all of the speakers, but um, I think yours might have been the very first one that I was like, Wendy needs to be podcasting <laughs> um, because this is. I, I think when I first heard you use the term. I think maybe my brain went to um, uh, something like um, 
like needle exchanges and that kind of work that we do um, in communities, right. um, harm reduction kind of work. I think that I think that's what the I don't know why, but that phrase triggered that um, that image for me. But then you started talking about what mutual aid is, which is it might include that kind of work, but it's really something really completely different than that. Um, so tell us a little bit, like when you talk about mutual aid, sure. um, because I think this is it's such. I mean, it's such an interesting concept uh, about the way a faith community could be organized. So just define that for us, sure. if you would. Um, yeah. The way that we understand and have been taught mutual aid is that the community has within it everything it needs, not only to survive, but to thrive. Um, and so within within any community, and that can be within any, within any geographical community, within any formed community, like for us, a congregation, within any um, community, like, especially like it could like the black community in Charleston, like within it kind of however you define community, but within that it resides everything that a community needs to survive. Um, and I, I, I was personally taught this and our congregation was taught this by in particular, three of our community partners, um, always want to give credit where credit's due. Jermaine Jenkins, who is the chief farm officer at Fresh Future Farm, which is an urban farm here in Charleston. Uh, Kenea Miller, who I mentioned, who's at Transformation Yoga, um, and Kenya Cummings, who has been um, a community leader in Charleston and has now become our theologian in residence at, um, at, at Two Rivers Church uh, just over the summer, which has been, and they have been an incredible gift um, to us. And so they are really the ones who have taught me about that. Um, and part of what we do when we do mutual aid um, and our anti-racism work is we always... Uh, pay black people for their labor. And so um, I paid Kenya Kane and uh, Jermaine when I was preparing and did the lead talk. And so just, and so now whenever I talk about them again, I just need to say, I will also pay them again um, after this conversation today for their labor, the ongoing labor that's influenced um, us. But within mutual aid also, I think an important part of that aspect of it is that there is no hierarchy of um, skills or talents, um, and so it's a it's a flat uh, a flat you know viewpoint to where every skill, talent, experience, and person is equally valid. So your money is as equally valid as your access to space, which is equally valid at, to your community relationships, which is equally valid as your knowledge of how to keep house plants alive so that you can nurture a small business, which is equally valid as um, knowing who to talk to in the community to get access to a community center. I mean, so it's it's this idea that that every single aspect of ourselves we bring to a community is equally valid. Love it. Love it. That, well, I, I went back and re-watched your talk yesterday and it, but I, I I didn't really catch it the first time around. But but what I thought about when I was rewatching it was um, that's such an interesting way to view like the Acts Two yes. community, right? Yes. Because I think a lot of times, you know, we we preach that scripture from the pulpit or we engage with it in a Bible study, and we look at it and say, well, you know, that's just socialism and that's not realistic. Yeah. But what you're talking about with mutual aid is really, I think, what was probably happening, you know, in the ancient Near East at that time, um, in the communities that were, you know, sprouting up the 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 blooming Jesus movement happening. And it wasn't like what we would think of as like political socialism or Marxism or communism or anything like those labels that we with our 21st century yeah. perspective want to impose on that first and second century world, right? <laughs> it's an entirely different way about valuing what you have, right? Not about it. it so it's not, a, I mean, even though it's, you know, the, it says, you know, people gave of what they had, but I think what you're describing in mutual aid is like, that's how that works, right? It's not a, it's not a redistribution of resources so much as it is an equalization of resources so that all resources can be used right in, in ways that benefit the community. And I like to call it communalism. <laughs> you know, because that. that's what oh, I, I like that, that one too. People say like, oh that's communism or something. I'm like, no, it's communalism. That means that we yeah. you know like we this idea that that er, that everything exists for the benefit of the community. Um 
And yeah. it's it's a really powerful way for folks to, to, be, to be in support, but also it's this really, it's a way then that leads to, to great dignity mm. when every person's gift is seen as equally yes. valid because our society and our culture says uh, that we lead with our money, yeah. no matter what it's always gonna be. I mean, you know, we, yeah. we, we live in a culture and society right now that says, whoever has the most money wins. Um, whoever has the most money has the most, which is literally true in most structures has the most power and influence. Um, uh, and so when we, when we flip that with mutual aid, um, you know, we really say money is great and we value your money, um, but your money is just as equal as the community resident who knows um, which other community residents are in need of care because they're elderly. Yeah. Like, like those, like those, those gifts and skills are, are on an equal playing field. Um, and it's, it's not, I mean, I wish it were for everybody. It's not for everybody uh, <laughs> yeah. to, to fully enter into a community that has that as its stated goal. Um, yeah. It, that's, that brings to point kind of an interesting question. Like how do you, how do you contextualize that concept? Right. Because I think you're right. I think the first instinct is to say, Oh man, all churches ought to be that way. And maybe in some idealistic way that might be somewhat true, but, but I think the, the thing we're really starting to learn in, in church world law, especially um, folks like you that are kind of on the leading edge of, of what new communities look like. We're really starting to learn this idea of contextualization, right? That you can't remove the values of a community from the context yeah. that, that you're in. So how does that look, you know, when you contextualize mutual aid for where you are and the folks that are part of your community? You know, one of the, um, I always say it is a lot of these things that we talk about, like in full inclusion, anti-racism work, this concept of mutual aid, it is so much easier to do in a new, in a new church. I so I, and I need to say to all of my colleagues and peers, like I, I did, I served three revitalizations and turnarounds. I've been <laughs> an established church for a long time before I did this. Um, and your work is much harder than, than this work. Cause it's, cause we get to build from the ground up. You know, um, we always say yeah. like the only bad habits we have are the ones that we chose and we know what they are. <laughs> um, and so we'd have no one to blame but ourselves for that. Um, so contextually, you know, for us, you know, one, I think I can give you one specific way that it looks for us is we actually um, lead very little as a community. Um, we were just talking about this among our staff and some leaders recently. Uh, you know, a lot of churches, you know, will head up, you know, see a need and then we'll go and head up um, a hunger relief ministry or they'll head up a home repair ministry or they'll head up a whatever. We actually don't, don't lead anything um, <laughs> as a community, but instead what we do is we have solidarity partners. And so that's what we call our version of um, what other churches call mission or outreach. Um, and we, we engage in solidarity because we come at the invitation of and alongside other partners. Um, and so when we had a desire um, to, to do some work with the um, immigrant and refugee community in our, the, in the Charleston area, uh, we didn't start out to set up a whole new program on our own. We looked around and said, who do we know in our network who is already doing um, some of this work? And so then we contacted them and we said, you know, is there any way that do you have any needs that we could come alongside you and fulfill? Um, and so we have then come at their invitation alongside and have done the things that they have asked of us, which are things that we never would have thought about, mm. um, but have been things like free laundry days and providing like a laundry basket full of household supplies and a roll of quarters for folks to do laundry at a laundromat. You know, like that was a need that that community had. We didn't know that, um, but when we partnered with folks who were in there and we came alongside an acts of solidarity. Um, and so we've done that. Um, so we identify four solidarity partners that we commit to. Um, and so we've done this, well, we've had the same partners for two years because we identified them in 2020, you know, kind of for the year. And then COVID we maintained that. Um, 
And so we, we are now, now that we're in this season of the COVID experience and also this next season of our congregational life, we're looking at what does it mean to even further deepen and integrate those solidarity partnerships and relationships that we have. So we have a you know, relationship with a farm. Um, and so, you know, a lot of what they've needed has been financial support. And so we've been, we offer that. Um, they had a need to do some strategic planning uh, to meet a, a, a a particular barrier that was being given to them by a governmental agency. And so we released our creative director to spend time with their work. And so we relieved some of the work that he had to do um, for us so that he would free up and have time to do work for them um, as, as our solidarity partner. Um, so that's a lot of the way that it looks um, contextually in our community. Um, Hmm. is that we look around to see who's already doing the work we offer and then they can say no and then we and then and then we honor and respect that um yeah. or they can say and then we uh, we do whatever they say <laughs> you know we get like we, we we believe people when they say this is what they what they need um and i i'm sad to say a lot of churches do not do that yeah say, well, you say you need this but i yeah think what you really need. yeah our, our good friend, uh, Jenny Williams, who's a part of the Accidental Tomatoes uh, team, um, said that very same thing about locally, uh, the NWACP. She's like, we don't need to go start a new organization. Let's go partner with them. Let's, and, but let's set up their chairs. Let's not lead it. Let's not take over. Let's go help set up their chairs. I was like, that is brilliant. <laughs> I love that concept of not going in or even starting a whole new ministry or a whole new outreach, but looking for who's doing it if they want to be involved and then if they say, yeah, come on in then then you go and partner with them and do what they say. That's, that's so counter to all the churches I've been a part of or communities I've been a part of. Yeah. I spent a lot of time repenting for all <laughs> the things I did. Oh. It does. It really does sort of highlight um, even the unconscious power dynamics that exist in you know, what we might call the institutional church or whatever, right? That um, even when we're trying to do good, we find ourselves doing harm, That's right? Crazy, and and yeah. a phrase I've heard you use a lot, Wendy, over, over the months that we've known each other is um, being in mission with versus mission to yeah. people. And it's, and it's a, it's a way of decolonizing what we think of as mission, right? Well, it, you know, and it's that whole, it, it goes back, you know, to the beginning of our conversation. It's all about relationships and being in relationship with people simply for the purpose of relationship, not as anything transactional that we can get out of them or for any purpose other than just being in relationship with somebody. Um, that's, that's, you know, that's a lesson that it's taken me a long time to learn. Um, but boy, it, it makes, it makes, it makes a change. It makes a change. Yeah. Yeah. I just, and I keep thinking, you know, our, our podcast is, our audience is largely folks who have kind of gotten over the whole like institutional church thing or traditional church thing. And, um, and so I always kind of try to keep in mind, like, how does this resonate, you know, with somebody who has been traumatized by the church or rejected by the church or hurt by the church in any way? And it, I mean, I know, like we said, it's not for every one, but man, I think if there were more faith communities doing that kind of work in the world, rather than the colonizing sort of mission and rather than exercising power and control dynamics and th you know, things like Brandon grew up with in his um, faith traditions, I, I think a lot of those folks maybe would, would still be connected with faith communities. Um, because what I find is people are still really interested in Jesus. Oh, they're yeah. just over this whole Jesus the way the institution has messed Jesus up. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting, you know, we have that, um, you know, and, and we have to be, we're really, really cautious about the vocabulary and language that we use. Yeah. Um, we're very, very intentional about our communication. Um, and, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, I'll slip up and like let a, a phrase from my past <laughs> life, you know, will kind of emerge. And I have, a, I have a few folks who will call me on it and say, is this what you meant when you said that? Or they'll say, you know, I was really uncomfortable when 
use this phrase because in my past experiences, it's meant X, Y, and Z. Is that what you mean by it? Um, and so it really is That's this awesome. wholesale exploration of everything that we do and everything that we say, Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and trying to create a culture to where folks can honestly say, I disagree with the phrase that you used, or yeah. you need to unpack that more, or I hope this is not what you mean when you say, you know, it was some, some folks were having a conversation that came out. We have a lot of, you know, folks who are previously evangelical. Um, and one of the, you know, one of the people said, you know, like the first time they came to one of our worship experiences that they were shocked because the sermon was just it won't be there one person we do a lot of conversation podcast style a lot to people and it, it was just people talking to them mm. and in the, like all of their past experiences there was this very specific emotionally yes. manipulative uh language um the way that voices were went low <laughs> and then went high and they went loud and then went real soft you know it's yep. <laughs> like, like very formula they'd only experienced this very formulaic style of manipulative preaching yeah. um and they were like what is what is this you just come and talk <laughs> you know it was like this like a totally brand new um this brand new idea um and that's part of being you know and that's part of being in mutual aid embodying that even within a religious community and a faith community is that the preacher doesn't have any higher, better, more special knowledge than anybody else. Yeah. Um, but too often in churches, we, we preachers think too highly of ourselves. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we think that we have more um, and that we need to preach in order to, you know, trans but really what folks want is a conversation with another person. Yes. Um, and so it's like my, what I bring to the table might be some training and specialized education around how we talk about God and think about God. Um, but my training education is not any on any kind of hierarchy any higher than folks who have a very real lived experience of wrestling with what does it mean to have to give up their entire faith community yeah. and try and find a new one. Like, you know, like those, like those, those are, those are equal in our community. Um, those mm. experiences are equal in our community. One's not higher than another. Man, I just want to, I want to say so much and ask so many questions. <laughs> and I am, I am the one that Joe is talking about. I'm already thinking, how can I move to Charleston, South Carolina and join you guys? <laughs> My wife has an amazing voice. I have an amazing voice. We sing, we play guitar, music. I do production, whatever you need, we're moving. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I grew up evangelical, little, little background and very uh, manipulative, controlling. I call it a cult um, just with Jesus as the name of the cult um, and uh, that whole world. And um, I love the fact we would – a few things are, are, are rattling my brain. We would say everyone's equal, but still the pastor was always elevated. You know what I mean? Like whatever – and I love that you're breaking this down and saying no. Even the pastor, um, have you had people coming from the evangelical world have a hard time with that conversational style, not just the preaching, but the living of it? Like, like I mean, imagine like someone comes to you and say, hey, tell me what to do, because in that world, whatever the pastor says goes where you're coming and you're and, and I love that you're like, people are calling you on stuff or they're open enough to say, what you said means this to me. Is that what you... I mean that is a, that is amazing as far as unpacking and deconstructing and 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 healing to have the community where you can say I don't like what you said <laughs> and not be kicked yeah. out of the church for it. Well, you know, it's so interesting. I recently had an experience where someone um, had one of these like I need to tell you how this particular experience impacted me. Um, and I need you to hear that. And so like, you know, they call it and we had this conversation and, you know, afterwards I was so grateful that they had called and shared that with me. And I told them that, and I took full responsibility for, you know, what we had done and, um, you know, committed to actionable change, you know, out, out of it. Um, and realized that 
that was a huge gift that that person had given mm. to me. <laughs> um, mm. Because like you said, in previous experiences, to go to, to go to their faith leader did, did not mean that they would be heard yeah. or did not mean that they would be validated or did not mean that they would be believed. Yeah. I think that's a lot of it. They would be believed or they would not be manipulated into serving the best needs of the church, mm -hmm. uh, not their own best needs. That has, that has come up a lot for yeah. us that people go and their past experiences, they've talked to their faith leader and their faith leader, um, has made recommendations or counseled, <laughs> I'm doing air quotes, counseled them um, on ways to uphold patriarchal, um, harmful experiences, um, status quo, to continue in the best interest, what they perceive is the best yeah. interest of their church, not the best interest of the person. Mm. Um, and so it is, it, it has taken, I mean, that's a real intentional work that we do on our end to be, to create a culture where people can come um, and also to like, I don't take any of those experiences and conversations lightly because I know, I know how difficult that was. Yeah. And I was so grateful that they did it. Um, but that, that happens again yeah. and again and again. Um, well, in good way. And again, yeah. it goes back to relationship yeah. and trust. Yeah. People have to trust <laughs> like when you, yeah. when they can have a hard conversation with you and they can come out of that conversation being valued and validated that builds trust. Yeah. Which then goes along, you know, and then, then that just creates a circle, um, expands the circle. Actually. Yeah. And, and I do yeah. love uh, listening to you talk the, so I, you, you said a certain uh, phrase and I, and I forget it, but in the, in the evangelical world, we would say core values, <laughs> mission statement and core values. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, I did so many classes on writing a friggin' one sentence mission statement and <laughs> four to five core values and got to make them rememberable and, and get a cool way to say them. But um, I always, I always hated the idea that we would do that. We would plaster them somewhere in the church and every lead meeting or, or leadership meeting, we would talk about them, but they were never lived out. Um, or if they were lived out, it was that hierarchical where here's the pastors doing it right and you're not, you're doing it wrong. There was never the give and take where, hey, pastor, you kind of dropped the ball here and the, you know, that exchange. And like, so I'm going to circle, not I hate to use the word circle back, but you said something in passing and, and it just kind of, I'm like, I, I need to go back to that. So you said you guys wanted to be a, um, oh, what was it? Um, you couldn't be um, ethnic or, or multicultural, ethnic. but you're going to be against racism, anti-racist, anti -racist, um, all that. Uh, but that you said there were three people and that you pay them every time. Yes, yes, yes. We pay black people for it's, the labor. That's blah. You know, Especially pff, black like, okay, it's one thing to say we're anti-racist. Right. I mean, of course, every church probably wants to put that moniker on their on their core values, hopefully. Right. But the fact that there's actionable steps that you guys do, that's just that's awesome. I love that. Well, I, I need to say like that. This should be the bare minimum of expectations, <laughs> especially for black congregations. Yeah. This, yeah, is, yeah. Like, this is not anything that should be lauded <laughs> because this should be the bare minimum that we as white faith leaders and predominantly white congregations do. Um, yeah. And I, again, it is much easier in a new community because we were able to set that from day one. And I've yeah. served, I have served in some congregations where these conversations do not go over um, and are very, very difficult. Um, yeah. So I, I, again, I need, I very much need to say that, you know, you talk about core values and like our, so we, we have, we have core values and, and actually pre COVID um, everybody who came could, could like name our yeah. core values, but they probably are not the ones that you're expecting. Our core values are that we are creative, beautiful, inclusive, authentic, and vulnerable. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> which are probably not the most typical core values yeah, yeah. that you would see. But um, Joe, you know, you're beautiful. You, you're beautiful, Joe. <laughs> you know, we have, I mean, that, that, that's, that's our that's our that's our main that's our main tagline is you are beautiful. Love that. Like, mm. like, like no joke. I, I, I we we have 
400 year beautiful t-shirts that we give away <laughs> um and and stickers like that that's that it that you are beautiful is actually our main tagline um but you know kind of what you talk about i think some of our core values that you hit on are like the vulnerability and the authenticity and so in order to like have that be a lived out core value to have vulnerability be a lived out core value we have to be willing to both make mistakes to um acknowledge those mistakes to offer public correction um for them to you know to say this is where i'm struggling uh to be transparent about our decision making processes and how we you know all of that and our creative director is also a brand manager. So he, you know, he's, he always talks about like our brand promise. We have to live our brand promise. And our brand promise is that we are all, we are authentic, vulnerable, inclusive, creative, and beautiful. Um, and so everything that we do has to live out those values very, very clearly. Um, and that's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard yeah. work. Um, but you know, if we talk about, um, the church of the future, um, friends, we're going to have to be willing to do the hard work. And it's going to mean we have to learn to bring new vocabulary. It means we have to stop talking in churchy language. It means we're going to have to yeah. be willing to admit when we make mistakes. We're going to have to be willing to try new things. We have to be willing to commit to relationships for the long term. Um, it is the best work I have ever done. It is hard work, but it is the yeah. best work. It, uh, man, I love everything you're saying, Wendy. It's, <laughs> I, the question that, that keeps popping into my head because, and, and maybe it's because you and I kind of come from, both come from that place where we're leading sort of non-traditional types of communities. And I, I wonder, do you get pushback from the institution about the way you're doing Like, I know one of the, one of the constant struggles I have, um, is translating what we do back to the institution that I'm a part of, right? Um, because we're not doing things according to the formula, right? Um, because we are kind of out on the edge um, exploring new ways of being community. Do you, is there a tension there in that for you that you have to navigate to? I mean, we've been real fortunate. Um, you know, our, I would say our larger institution has not given us pushback. My, um, in United Methodism, land kind of like my 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 uh super speaking of hierarchies right <laughs> has not gone to mutual aid a flat approach <laughs> but, you know, uh my congregation developer um the current for, for our state for our annual conference um you know is our biggest champion and biggest cheerleader um and i know that he and then the person previous to that when i started this appointment um they did a lot of that translating work for us um and which has been really wonderful Oh, that's great. That's how, yeah. yeah, I've got, I've got a similar relationship with our development. In fact, I work part-time for our congregation. We, we call it congregational vitality in West Virginia, but um, part of my work is helping other people like launch new faith communities and yeah. initiatives too. But, um, but that, yeah, translating that work back because I think it's not because the institution doesn't like or appreciate what we're doing, but they don't understand it. Right. And so like, if I have to give a presentation to another group of pastors about, what we're doing with the new wineskins community that I lead, for instance, like I can't use the language, you know, I, I love everything you said about language because I don't use churchy language within our community. Yeah. And, and same way when I catch myself or when somebody else catches me, you know, we have to correct it on the spot. Um, but I can't speak new wineskins language back to my institutional colleagues. They don't understand that language. And it's just, it, it's not a, it's not a value-based good or bad. It just is, it's one of these tensions that we kind of have to exist in, I think. And part of what, you know, we have always said that we at Two Rivers want to do, because um, I, I need to say, I, I, we operate as a team. I have an incredible team of both staff people and our, our leadership team. Um, this is in no way a one-person show at all. Um, it, it is, it is an incredible team effort. Um, but one thing that we have always wanted to do is to, is to help our colleagues and friends in existing churches be able to use some of the um, strategies and activities and viewpoints and things that we do that they actually are translatable back, in, back into established churches. Um, 
you know, because I served established churches for 14 years. I know, I mean, I know that world very, very right, right. Um, And so it's easy. And I remember, I remember sitting in that world and looking at folks who were doing new churches. Um, somebody came and did, an, uh, I remember a clergy meeting and they were at, a, their pastors at a new church and they were talking about small groups and they're like, just have your small group just worship in small group. Don't do anything else. You don't need to do anything else. Like no United Methodist women, no United Methodist men, no choir, nothing but just small group and worship. And I remember thinking, well, that's great for you, but you know what? I've got a 90 year UMW, (laughs) you know, like I've got, I got a 40 person choir. I've got, you know, it's like, um, and like, I remember thinking that what they were saying did not translate to my context at all. Mm. Um, and so that's one thing we want to be able to do is to say, you know what, we want to be able to help you yeah. uh, translate and implement, you know, you're not going to be, probably most places aren't going to wholesale do what we do, um, be, you know, again, because the gift of being new. Um, but there are parts that we want to help people be able to translate back. That's great. So let me ask, let me ask uh, kind of point B of Joe's question. What's the pushback from people coming to your church? If that either new or they grew up in the church and now they're, you know, coming to you guys. Do you, do you see a lot of, um, what are some of the people's issues with, you know, the way you guys go about? I'm going to say we actually don't get any pushback from new folks. We get more incredulity. They're more incredulous. Like, <laughs> wait, wait, uh, yeah. this is really how things go. Awesome. Like, you know, like right now we're meeting. Is this real life? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> or, and like we, it was funny. We had, um, so right now we're meeting twice a month at a brewery um, because we don't, we know we're a new church. We were meeting at a high school beforehand before COVID. And, you know, that is like, accessible to us. And so we just started in the, in June, worshiping twice a month in person outdoors at a brewery. Um, and it's their values aligned with us. They have this beautiful like stage and outdoor space. It's been wonderful, wonderful. And, um, part of being values aligned is they have a connection with Charleston black pride. And so on Sunday we worshiped at 10 and then at 11, Charleston black pride was coming to do, um, a drag brunch there. And so I reached out to the, um, leader of the, uh, of their organization and invited her, um, to come and speak. I said, you know, I'm, you know, if you're able to get there, we'll finish about 1045. And I said, we're going to finish early so that we'll be able to get out of your way so that you'll be able to set up by 11. We're going to tell our people to stay. We're really excited about, you know, what you're doing and being able to support that. Um, and so I reached out and let her know. And so she ended up, she ended up coming to worship um, for the whole time, which was fantastic. And now we're talking about doing a pride worship when they do their Charleston Black Pride uh, weekend about hosting pride worship service for them, you know, which is really exciting. But the DJ got there um, while we were still having worship. And at the end, he came up and he said, I have heard people talk about your church, but I didn't know that like, this is what it really was. (laughs) This was really great. (laughs) So it's, um, you know, most of what we do is saying, no, we're not really that kind of church. That's yeah, that's the yeah. part of what we're doing. No, we're not really that kind of church. Um, you know, but when we see like we don't do a sermon, we do two people having conversation. We, you know, have folks share a story about how God's up, what God's up to in their life every Sunday. Right. We have our children are you know involved in our worship space, and we include them in how we do and experience worship. So it's um, it's a very I mean, like this past Sunday, our musician is a man, but everybody else who spoke was a woman. I was like, oh, I need to make sure we get, I get more men. (laughs) 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 You know, um, so it was, it's, it's interesting, you know, like, um, those are the things that I worry about. Like, oh my gosh, do we have too many women in leadership? (laughs) Listen, we, we need to step back. That's, That's the message I've been preaching to my white male friends too, is like, yeah. Shut up and get out yeah. of the way to the extent that you can. You know, give that space to women and and black and indigenous and people of color. And you know, give that space to LGBTQ folks. We don't have to dominate yeah. this. And that's that's always a tension. Like, just you know, full disclosure as a podcast host, like I'm I'm always feeling that tension um, when you know um, because we have this space, right? We have this platform, and how you know, how do we hand that platform over 
as fully as we can to our guest without trying to dominate it. Right. And that's, again, talking about living intentions, that's what you do. And I think that's where, I think that's where a lot of anxiety for white men is right now, to be honest. Like when I look around at my friends group and see folks who are struggling with some of these concepts, um, it's, nobody's ever showed us how to shut up and get out of the way. <laughs> That's so true. You know, we've, we've lived with this so assumption. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to offer that um, every other uh, identity group in, in white men's lives have been forced to shut up yeah. and get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I will say that Preach. white men actually have lots of experience on how that's done. <laughs> I mean, if they look around at the non and they're like, <laughs> so true. Yeah, so absolutely. True. Absolutely. I cut, I caught my, we were on vacation last week and I've got two adult daughters and this, you know, it's like everything you're, you're learning your way into these things. Right. I, I like to think I do it well, but there are times when I do it very poorly. And, um, we were sitting out on the, we, we rented a condo in the mountains of West Virginia and we were sitting out on the patio having drinks one evening. And one of my daughters was telling a story and like, I wanted to interject something into her story that I, and I caught that voice in my head saying, shut up. Just let it, you know, it's like, and it was like, I like to think that's my instinct now, but it's not always my instinct. Right. And that's, we've got a yeah. lot to learn. We've got a lot. To learn. I, I have to, I have to call a timeout real fast though. Um, we can get back to this broadcast in a second, but again, I got to go back to something you said, you guys went to finish your service early so you could bring in the speaker and the, the black pride group after that is so counterculture because most churches would say we're going in our allotted time. We're not giving our time up. You know, you know, <laughs> it's another counter thing where you're there and saying, Hey, here's someone coming after us. How can we, how can we help them and be done and get out of the way? So then they can set up and be ready for their, like, that's so, all right, time back in. <laughs> hey, it's so sad that that's right. Cool. <laughs> well, I mean like, go, you know, going back to the, the, even if you had a preacher or I mean, not a preacher, but like a, that, that, that sermon type, like, no, I'm going my 20 minutes. I'm not going to cut off five minutes so I can get done early because what I have to say is so powerful and the people need to hear it. Uh, no, what people in the community have to say is powerful and other people need to I hear love it. I mean, that. Like that, yeah. that's kind of our, I love um, that. you know, we, we do a lot of work around accessibility as well in our, in our community. Um, and like one of those places where we fail, um, we, when we went to this brewery for the first time, it's they like Adirondack chairs and some rocking chairs and picnic tables. And so we told people like, you know, to bring some camp chairs, like those folding, you know, camp chairs, um, if they had some. And then we got there and we are a chronologically very young congregation, like mostly 20s and 30s. Um, I am not in that age group. I'm older than that age group. Um, but we we do have a very, we have a few people who are, you um, social security age and up. Uh, and one of our most dear faithful couples, you know, came our first time we were back in person since, you know, 15 months. Um, and somebody afterwards told me, I really watched her struggle to find a place to Mm. sit because the Adirondack chairs were too low. The picnic tables don't have a back. The camp chairs were too soft. And I was like, we had not, properly prepared for every person who is going to be in our space. Um, and so we immediately went and ordered four um, firm folding chairs that had arms. So it'd be, you know, so that, uh, you know, so then, uh, and I messaged her and I was like, Hey, just wanted you to know, we have these chairs. Um, we have two out. We also have two at the welcome table. You know, if they're somebody sitting them, come and get us. And we have these two, you know, safe for you. This is not a, a big deal. I mean, it's not like it, this was a failure on our part to not anticipate that. Um, I was telling my mom the story and she was like, I can't believe that y'all did that. Most churches would, <laughs> would not do that. And I was like, of course they would. This is the most basic <laughs> of things is to make sure that the people who are coming are pre- we're prepared for. Um, and she was like, no, no. Most churches would have said, bring your own chair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So good. A, a member of my of our a new fairly new member of our faith community, um, a guy named Chris Wiley, who's a, an ordained elder in the Upper New York Conference. He and I got to know each other through some of these webinars we've done over the past year and stuff. And um, he's he's a, 
a really influential leader in the disability community. And, you know, he was telling me stories of he would be assigned to pastor a church that didn't have a wheelchair ramp. You know, and those just really, like you said, the most basic things. And he's like, you know, and how, how's he supposed to navigate that? And, you know, it's just, it's like you say, those are, those should be the no brainers. Those should be the things that we don't even have to think twice about. Right. Um, and yet we run into resistance when we try to implement those yes. things because it yeah. infringes on someone's sense of privilege or tradition or whatever, you know? Yeah. 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 Wendy, this has been a, an amazing conversation. Unfortunately, we are running close to yes. the, the end of our time here. Um, I, I, I know I say this for our listeners. I say this almost every episode. I could talk three hours yes. with you about some <laughs> it's of this It's been stuff. great. Uh, so, yeah. So maybe we'll have to, to schedule another time together. But um, is there anything you're working on that um, that people might be interested in? Or where can, where can people sure. find you? And how can they find Two Rivers Church yep. and the work you're doing out yep. in the world. I'm uh, Rev Wendy Hudson on all social media. Um, so you can find me there. We're Two Rivers CHS, all spelled out T W O R I V E R S C H S. Um, also on all social media, our website's easy to riverchs.org. Uh, um, you know, one of the one of the things that we're really working on developing um, in this hybrid season of going from um, fully digital to now making a switch after Labor Day to having being in person every week um, is how do we maintain our connection? We currently have active participants in our community who live in four different states now. Um, that's been a really exciting growth period. So that's something we're looking at is like, how do we really fully, like we did a memorial service for uh, one of our members who lives in Maryland and we live in South Carolina just this week. And how do we maintain real community and connection? Um, at a distance. So Brandon, you can well, be there we go. part of us. Okay. You don't even have to be. All right. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll message you after. Um, so that's, so that's, something, yeah. that's something really interesting that we're, you know, we want to, we want to help think through and then, you know, help, help the church, the big church think through that's as awesome. well. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I appreciate the leadership that you're taking, um, at least within United Methodist world, although I think it's bleeding out to some other folks on, you know, how, how do we create these sort of hybrid spaces um, that work really well, both for folks who uh, participate in person and online. And I know there, there are other folks working on that, but um, I just, I really appreciate your leadership in that way, because I do think, you know, COVID yeah. forced us into a new era. Um, I think, I think there were some of us that were playing around with it a little bit beforehand, <laughs> excuse me, but, um, but we now see, you know, the, the, yeah. the reality of what can be. And, you know, and we're on the, we're, we're in the, baby step stages. Yeah. You know, I get excited to think about where this might go in three years or five years and beyond yeah. as we start to learn new things and figure new things out and new technologies develop. Um, you know, we're, we're certainly not, we haven't arrived at where we're going to be yet. Um, and so I, I'm really appreciated um, leaders like you who are willing to say, you know, let's, what's it look like to take this step, right? And then how do we start to look forward to the next steps? So, yeah. Thanks again. Um, thanks again for that work. It was great. Yes, well, we appreciate you, so you being much. on the podcast again. We'll, we'll, we'll have to create an excuse to get back together again sometime. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at the Wild Goose Fest. Yes, I'll see you in just a few weeks. Yeah, very good. Thanks. Did I call it? Joe, you did called I call it? it? You called it. You called <laughs> it. I called it. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, um, we got to have her back. We got we to gotta do some follow-ups. Um, it just, gosh, this idea of mutual aid, no hierarchy, that everyone's everyone brings something to the table and that it's all valuable. Um, I mean, I, I could go on and on. I mean, I'm going to, this is one I'll probably be sitting with for a while. Uh, this yeah. Conversation. yeah. I, and hopefully this is one of those ones where, where our listeners can say, you know, here's not just something that was fun to listen to, but, and it was, I think um, it was sure fun for us to have that conversation, but you know, maybe, maybe that does inspire you to, to try to create something. Um, that, that yeah. works better, right. Than, than what the institutional church has always had to offer um, or to find someplace, you know, maybe in your own context, that's doing that kind of thing. Yeah. And Joe, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. I yeah. love, I love that the core values are not 
what are typical core values? I just love yeah, that. Yeah, it, it doesn't so sound focused. like a corporate <laughs> statement. It sounds like a friendship yeah. statement, right? I love I love that about it. Well, as always, friends, if, if you're interested in the content that we're creating and curating for the Accidental T- Tomatoes community, you can find us online at accidentaltomatoes.com. And across the social media world, we are at Accidental Tomatoes. And if you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcast topics, We'd love to hear from you. You can find us and contact us through our website, message us on social media, or send us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And if you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. That will help other people find us and connect with our community and participate in the conversation. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing at Accidental Tomatoes, you can donate through Patreon, where your support helps us to offset some of the expenses of producing content for our community. Just go to patreon.com slash Accidental Tomatoes to learn more. So until next time, keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.